Please do turn in a copy of God's Word, either your copy or the Pew Bible, Matthew chapter 4. It's on page 809, I believe, in the Pew Bible, Matthew 4. We are at the very beginning here at this point in the gospel, according to Matthew, at the beginning of the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Uh, he has shown and demonstrated that he is indeed uh, the fulfillment of the prophecies, hoping for a Messiah. Uh, he comes uh, born of a virgin. Uh, he is truly, uh, uniquely the God-man, the Lamb of God. Last uh, two weeks ago, we saw when he was baptized, uh, John the baptizer said, Behold the Lamb of God. He is showing that he is the new Jesus, the new Israel. And he identifies with all of the uh, ways that the people of God journeyed and what they encountered, whether it's going down into to Egypt to escape harm, making his way, identifying with the people, being baptized, wandering in the wilderness, even being baptized uh, with repentance, though he needed no repentance. He needed no change of course or turning back to God. He was in step with God. And at his baptism, uh, we heard, we didn't, but they did, uh, a, a voice from God. And that voice was the voice of uh, the Heavenly Father saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the Spirit of God, there they are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God in the form of a dove comes uh, and lands on him. We know that he's anointed. And he's going to need that encouragement because he faces uh, grave and great temptation. We read of this last week earlier in the same chapter. Uh, he is facing not only, the, uh, not only hunger, but also temptation uh, to doubt. Uh, the, the enemy, the father of lies, Satan, that fallen angel, is reminding him uh, of what he needs and, and is, is prompting and, 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 and trying to get him to doubt the goodness of his heavenly father, to take shortcuts. Uh, which we all are at times uh, tempted to take. Sometimes they might be the right thing. It was not the right thing. Jesus had been told, Jesus knew the mission, that he would have to go through suffering and then to glory. And you can't skip that. And we, we, would, we would lose. He would lose. We all would lose. He would not uh, be the Savior that he is if he had not. But right now, uh, we know that that suffering is going to come increasingly more so. And that there's even a hint of it in our text this morning because uh, King Herod, not the King Herod who wanted to uh, put Jesus and all babies to death in Bethlehem, but a different King Herod, a related one, uh, now is upset with John the baptizer and is thrown him into prison and will eventually cut off his head. So we know that the pressure, now this is a, a king of the Jews, but this is uh, this is not a, a good king of the Jews. This is a, a corrupt king that's just a puppet king under the, the impressive Roman government. And uh, he wants John uh, to, to be quiet. He wants Jesus to be. They all want Jesus to be quiet. But this is where we have his very first words. It's like the inaugural speech of Jesus, if you will. Uh, we, we know what that's like. He's, he's going to reach uh, you know, to seek who would want to follow God and to follow truth. We know it's... It's interesting at times when there's a new coach, a new teacher, a new leader, a new president, a new boss, a new supervisor, someone in your life uh, or someone you know, near or far that comes in and, uh, and takes the, the helm and takes the leadership. And you're, you're eager to hear what is, their, what is their speech? What's their spiel? What's their, you know, what's their pep talk? Uh, is this someone that I want to follow? Is this someone that I can respect? Uh, you wonder, you listen, you wonder, is this, is this a cause? Are, are they casting a vision that I could come in step with and be enthusiastic about? Do I find this person to be in some way uh, compelling or worthy 
uh, the goal, the aim that they have before them. Some of you know Coach Belichick is uh, stepped away from the, uh, the New England Patriots after 20, almost 25 years or so. Uh, well, you know, it only took them about 24 hours and they announced the new one. That, that's uh, pretty humbling, you know. Uh, you are, all of us, to a person indispensable. Sur- surely that's true if Bill Belichick can be replaced in 24 hours. <laughs> Rumor is on the sports talk scene that he is interviewing for a job as head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. Now, there's plenty of people uh, down in Atlanta, there's plenty of people uh, on the team that have even expressed, I would love to have Bill Belichick as my head coach. And, and we all know why. It's his, it's his, it's his charm, and it's, it's his charisma, it's his amazing outfit. Uh, he, you know, he's just a sharp dresser. Obviously, why, why do anybody on the Atlanta Falcons want to follow Bill Belichick? Well, they know this is a guy who's won six Super Bowls as a head coach. He's actually won more than that because he was on the coaching staff of other Super Bowl teams. He's been to more Super Bowls uh, than any other coach in NFL history. So they know who they're dealing with. They know how influential and uh, compelling he is as a leader. But let's just imagine, okay? And this is, this is the Southerner coming out of me, okay? But let's just imagine that Bill Belichick this week, when he goes down for interview number two or three in Atlanta, he decides, you know what? I'm going to head up into northern Georgia. I'm going to head out into the, to the, to the rural parts of the, the Blue Ridge Mountains, and I'm going to find a nice big piece of property. Because after all, the six homes that I have in Massachusetts, it's all cold up there. And so Nantucket's great in the summer, but I need a place in the winter. He goes looking for a new property to build a new whatever. Uh, and what does he say to himself? You know what? I noticed that the Hiawassee High School JV team, I, you know, they need a new head coach. I've made millions I don't really care anymore. I'm going to go take on this new role as the head coach of the the JV team for this rural northern Georgia, you know, high school. Let's imagine that Bill Belichick shows up on day one for the JV team and they don't know who he is. Who's this old fogey? Comes in here, uh, you know, wearing a wearing a hoodie and uh, and, uh, you know, he's so old. My my dad, you you know, he's so old. he, He hasn't played. Football since my dad was born, which is actually true because he hasn't played since 1978 or 79. But they looked at, who is this? What does this guy know? And it's hard for you to believe, but there actually are children in the South who have no idea who Bill Belichick is, okay? And uh, and let's just assume that they don't know who he is and they're not compelled. They, They don't understand. Bill Belichick's speech to the JV team that morning of the Hiawassee Indians Freshmen, sophomores, all ready to get jazzed up for a new season in the first practice this fall. And he says, we got two rules, we got two mottos on this team, and the first one is this. Here's his inaugural speech for the team. Are you ready? First one is what? Do your job. The second one is, thank you, there are some Patriots fans in here still. Second one is, put the team first. All right, boys, let's go. I'm going to need everything you got. Uh, you know, that's, that's all great. You get the point, right? But here we're studying the, the major figure, the, the, the focal point, King Jesus of all of Scripture. And he's at a crossroads. Not, not, no, not so much his crossroads, but their crossroads and your crossroads. And we hear the, his, his inaugural speech, if you will, of his public ministry, his tour. And he's going to call out 12 disciples to begin a new Israel and a new kingdom. 
So please turn if you would. And by the way, there's no, it's, it's easy for guys on the Falcons to want Bill Belichick to be their new head coach because he's got, he's got millions and they're going to make millions. But Jesus is about to call some disciples and it's going to cost them their whole life. So let's read his speech. It's the inauguration. Stand, stand with me if you would. Matthew 4. Verse 1, excuse me, verse uh, 13, 12. Now, when he, Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the land by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. It's just the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. Would you uh, please be seated and uh, pray with me? Father, we're asking that uh, you would please be in my speaking and in our hearing. Uh, You know us, Father, inside and out. Uh, You know that we need guidance and light. We need the light of your Spirit, so help us to appreciate and to apply your Word. We need the heat of your Holy Spirit to point us away from sin and shallowness towards the hope of Jesus, our eternal glory. We pray in his name. Amen. And calling his disciples, I think Matthew would have us see that Jesus is inaugurating a kingdom and he must be king. If I were to divide the sections of this latter half of chapter 4, here's how it would go. I have him listed in the order of service. The light of the kingdom, the call of the kingdom, and then finally verse 23 is where it picks up the gospel of the kingdom. That's the outline of the passage, but that's not really the outline of my sermon. So uh, just listen, if you would, I actually want to kind of begin from the end and and, uh, just look here, uh, if if you will, because Jesus, it's important for us to understand that there's this kingdom in view. Now, Christ has always been the king because he created the world uh, of the second person of the Trinity by the power of his word, created the entire uh, cosmos, the world as we know it. Uh, And so it's, of course... Uh, it, you know, he is going to come again to be the judge of all of that. So he has always been king. But in the manifestation of his 
character and his mission on earth to bring about all the things that would unfold uh, from creation, fall, redemption, restoration. This is where we are. And Jesus is beginning his public ministry. He said, repent for the kingdom. Verse 17 is at hand. Now, how is that? I mean, most kings have money. Uh, if they don't, they, they at least have taxpayers who are going to eventually give them money. Usually they have an army. Uh, usually they have possessions and they have prestige and they have fill in the blank. They have a campaign manager or something. Uh, Jesus doesn't even have his whole family understanding who he is. <laughs> uh, he doesn't even have 12 disciples yet. Uh, I mean, he's, he's about to, to grab uh, two pair here in this particular uh, gospel account. And by the way, he's nowhere near the capital city or any major city of any kind of influence. He's in the region of Galilee. Verse 12 says that. 18 says that. 23. It's all beautiful places. If you've had a chance to go, I've been there. It's, it's, it's beautiful by the Sea of Galilee. Not a bad place to live. But we're not near the center of any power. And not even at the crossroads of any major commerce. It's a simple place. Simple no-name towns and people, a region with very little prominence or prestige. And that's where Jesus is going to begin his public ministry. You could say that this is kind of a, a day one uh, when you look at verse 23 and, and uh, through the end when they are with him and they follow him out into the other regions beyond the sea to do what? These great things. It's almost like day one of boot camp. But instead of screaming at them and offering a bunch of, you know, cruel humiliation, Jesus is gathering disciples with a display of his authority. And his, his, his mission, word and deed. That's where it begins. His ministry begins. Verse 23 summarizes it well. He went through the, through, throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. So it's a ministry both of word and deed. The good news is forgiveness, a spiritual reconciliation with a holy God, but also ultimately a physical restoration that we're getting glimpses of because he's actually healing disease, feeding the hungry, casting out demons. Jesus performed many miracles. And, uh, and I'm, you know, not all of them, of course, are 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 included in the record of the New Testament. And yes, those miracles certainly did great things to validate his position and his power and his, king, his kingship, but this was not a mere showmanship. And even, even the miraculous things that he did had a message that even accompanied them. Does that make sense? I mean, Jesus actually shows that he is the one full not only of might, but also mercy. He sees people suffering. He sees people who are hungry. He sees people who are oppressed. And he wants freedom for them. True freedom. He's the king over. He shows that he is the king. You say, well, how's the kingdom at hand? You know, we're so far away from any throne or crown or power. No, look carefully. Jesus is showing that he has power over every realm of the cosmos. Physically. Over creation, materially, even, you know, uh, medically, spiritually, he casts out demons. They tremble at him. He's even has dominion over what is under the sea. Through and through 
This is a king. He shows that he is the God of mercy and might. He's bringing a kingdom that will eventually reverse and free people from the, the curse of the fall. Jesus is revealing his character, his power, his authority. But even at this point of suffering, he's willing to go. Although showing mercy and compassion to others, he himself is willing to suffer. He becomes poor. He is uh, humiliated. He makes himself meek. He is separated like the first missionary from the glories of his home in heaven to go and dwell here of all places. Why? So that people could have freedom. Freedom from guilt and shame and selfish living and addiction and condemnation. Jesus is freeing people to be covered spiritually with his blood, to receive an inheritance and glory. But these are just glimpses of the already not yet. He's already showing his kingship, casting out demons, but ultimately he will triumph fully and all of creation will rejoice. Jesus, yeah, sure, he healed people who were sick and leprous, let's say, and he, he, fed, he fed people who were hungry, but some of those people, well, no, all those people still died, and, and most of those people got hungry again. Even he himself died. And, and when we, we would not, and, and furthermore, we should not follow him if it weren't for the resurrection. He's worthy. He should be forgotten. All that he has said and done, like, every, like ultimately every king, every coach, every celebrity who's attracted praise and attention if it wasn't for the resurrection. But this is the good news. The good news, the gospel of the kingdom. And I ask you this morning, do you know him? A savior. Do you know him as Lord Master, king of your life. Do you know him? Have you ever encountered something in your life, something or someone that you would say, yes, yes. I would would give my life for this cause or this person. I would sacrifice everything. I haven't even gotten to Jesus' inaugural speech yet. But he comes, he himself is coming into focus. It seems so remarkable and yet so mysterious, I'm sure, for people who heard words of Jesus, witnessed him at a distance, read about him years prior, and it's coming into focus. Here they come, 12 disciples will be there uh, by the, uh, eventually by the sea in short order. And we'll, we'll read of it in future weeks in the gospel account where they're on the, they're on the, uh, the sea and they uh, encounter a, a massive storm and the boat is, is, is rocking and it's, it's chaotic and they are fearful for their life. Then Jesus is doing what people who are really, really tired do and not afraid. They sleep. And Jesus is asleep. And what happens? The disciples come and they say, what's your problem? Why are you asleep? Jesus, don't you care about us? We're all going to die. They were afraid, as any of us would be. And then what do we have? Jesus stands up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. And then whoosh, it stops. And they were all happy and unafraid. Oh, no. 
That's not what the Bible says. And that's not what happened. Let me read what happened. Mark 4, when he, he does this, Mark 4 records, And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Well, back to Jesus' inaugural speech, okay? He's calling the disciples to himself. In Luke 5, the parallel passage to this, Jesus is calling Simon Peter, which he does here. But there's another detail that Luke includes, and that is they reach the end of the day, uh, well, the end of their fishing, uh, a, a new day, and he, Jesus says, uh, did you catch it that we haven't caught anything? Throw your nets on the other side, Peter. Peter, I don't know how politely he said this, uh, but uh, we, 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 we know what we're doing, and we've been out there all night with nothing. Jesus says, I know. Go, go ahead. And they catch so many fish. Now, this either happened or it didn't, okay? They catch such a load of fish, their, 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 net, their nets need mending. It's overwhelming. And I love the fact that Peter's response to that is so much bigger and deeper than, hey, how did you do that? Well, that's really cool. That's like magic, man. I mean, I saw Willy Wonk at the movie theater last night, you know? Like, wow. No, that's not what Peter said. Peter at first didn't say anything. It was involuntary. And you can read it for yourself in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. He hit the floor. And he said to Jesus, go away from me. For I'm a man that has unclean lips. I'm not worthy. He says, Go away from me, depart from me, precisely the language, for I am a sinful man, Lord. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. You're holy and you are clearly other. Why be afraid? You know, there's things in life that we really shouldn't be afraid of. And there's some things that we really should and we're not. I, I love... The fact that our church has had so many uh, young babies, uh, and I, I've enjoyed baptizing those babies. I love going to the hospital and seeing a first-time parent. And some of you, I'm looking around. I know I'll get a chance to do that in the next nine months, and that's great. But those first-time parents are really, really special, and I get to go to the hospital, and I get to pray with them and, and hold these babies, and it's wonderful. And I always look at them, and I always say the same thing. Trust me, your life is never going to be the same. Ever, ever, ever. I'm a grown man in my 40s, and my mom texts me every Sunday morning uh, to this very day. About 18 years ago, I remember holding my son, my firstborn child. I was overwhelmed with joy. Yeah, 
I was overwhelmed with, with, with awe and wonder that in nine months God could fashion and form together this human being that I have never met. But I was afraid. Because <laughs> I knew I, it'll never be the same. How can a father walk away from that moment when you, th- you feel like the weight of something is there, a, a parent walk away, and yet they do? H- how could someone encounter the person and work of Jesus and, and walk away? I do and I don't know, but I do know that it happened. There were people who did witness firsthand the power And they didn't surrender, truly. There are people who saw him in the boat with the kingdom authority that he has over every single realm, and they walked away. In many places, there were eyewitnesses to his power. Those who could overhear his teaching, they were astonished, they were intrigued. They were glad, but they didn't surrender. They followed him for what he offered, but then they left. They were not persuaded. Ultimately, they were not converted. What's the call of the inaugural speech? I'm getting here. Here I am, finally. We're we're at the inaugural speech of Jesus. And what is the inaugural speech? Number one, do your job. Oh, no, that's not it. No, no, wait a second. No, no. His inaugural speech is number one, verse 17, repent. Turn. Turn from sin. Turn away from serving yourself. Turn away from shallow things. Turn away from your unbelief and trust me by faith. Admit that you're like Peter. I'm saying this to you now because Jesus is saying this to us, to me and you. Be like Peter. Acknowledge that you're unworthy. I'm unclean. I'm unholy. I'm unworthy. I'm unbelieving. But I know you and I know that I can be forgiven. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. To come to Jesus is to say, I need help. I have a problem and I cannot fix myself. Come, the great hymn, come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready waits to save you. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness, moral fitness, okay? Don't dream of this, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. This he gives you, this he gives you. Tis the Spirit's rising beam. If you feel it, if you hear it, if you understand what I'm saying right now, God is giving you the gift of repentance. Appropriate it. Apply it. Then do the second thing. Follow him. Follow him. Verse 19. Now, I just want to say, the Spirit's rising beam, the light that he shines through the power of his Spirit into your life and mine, if we follow him and repent, is the light that came to Naphtali and Zebulun, the, the opening verses of this passage. That was a, a northern tribe, tribes that were not faithful to. There was, there was great rebellion and darkness, and God chose to go, Jesus, to them, unworthy people, and preach the good news and let that light dawn on them. But here's the second one, verse 19. Follow me. 
I love this. I find it so compelling that he, we have seen the mercy and the might, but we also love the fact that he is not saying, Jesus is in, in no way saying, come follow my teachings like a guru. Come join our great uh, cause. This new ethic. He's calling people to himself. Come follow me. If he is calling you, if your heart is captured by him, you will follow. Not, 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 not kicking and screaming, but you will follow. It might be painful. No, I'm not going to lie. It will. If you want money and, and fame and wealth, and uh, yep, yep, this is uh, it's not the leader to follow. It will not be easy. It, it will be costly. It may be with doubts and uncertainty, but we will follow him. And although it'll involve everything about us at seasons, times, turns, temptations, trials, we will have to leave behind time, pleasure, money, the praise of others, comforts. Sometimes, and some of you know this more than I do, your own family. James and John in verse 21 here left their father. One New Testament writer, scholar, Dan Durani captures it well. Even if we do not physically, as they did here, have to leave everything to follow Jesus, new converts do break from their ordinary life. We change our definition of the good life. We find joy and satisfaction in new things. We may take as much joy in feeding the hungry as in being fed by a gourmet chef. We may find more satisfaction, more satisfaction in nurturing others as being nurtured ourselves. At the end, though, I want to tell you, well, I haven't reached the end. I'm of the same journey that you are, <laughs> you know. And if I'm in the valley, if I'm in the hospital, if, I, if I'm under, you know, come to remind me of the same things I'm telling you, it will be worth it. Sometimes suffering, sometimes immense joy. But he will bring us back and feed our souls and give us a reason to keep following him. We call it our daily bread. That's what we pray for, right? It's not, I want the whole map and I want abundance and I want reserves and I want strength and I want this and then I'll follow you. This is not joining an NFL team. Also, we have this calling. Then it was true. Now it is true. We are called to join him in the joy of his mission. They and we are called to be fishers of men. Not, not, not with, uh, you know, high tech, shiny bait lures. We're fishing with love and truth. We share about the good news of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Draws people into himself. The tools that we have when we are on mission, and we ought to be, and you can't enjoy it unless you share it anyway. 
said, come on. But Jesus is saying, I want to make you fishers of men. We're called to go. The tools are different. We don't have nets and rods or fill in the blank harpoons. We have a great commission. And at the end of Matthew, it's recorded for us that all authority in heaven has been given to him that we should go. We go, not wait till everybody comes and, 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 you know, approaches us and asks us 50 questions. We go to people and we share. What are, what are the tools now? Teaching the word, baptizing them into the church. Go make disciples. I was able to go fishing this week. Ice fishing, just kidding, not ice fishing. I, I, uh, I, I did have a chance to go fishing for the king this week. I had two chances recently. One with a young man half my age and another with a, a dad who is my age. All I really did was just talk about moments in my life, shared some stories about how Jesus has brought hope to me, truth, change, forgiveness. One of them really genuinely felt like a divine appointment because the other dad saw me studying the scriptures. We struck up a conversation and he said, I've been reading the Bible for the first time and I want you to help me understand this passage. I said, well, that's interesting because uh, that's the passage right before the one I'm studying right now. My Bible's open, so let's go there. I was able to share with him the meaning of that fear, the fear of being in the boat in the storm. But with the Savior, which is a lot better than the alternative. <laughs> but also the fear that the disciples felt when they said, who is this man? And I've lived a long time in awe of who Jesus is and why he still loves me. He thanked me. He too felt like it was a divine appointment. He gets the praise. We read encounters where the sons, where God the Son is so able, so powerful, so worthy, so in control that I ought to be willing to leave everything to follow him wherever he leads, whatever he asks of me. And I want you to think about that when it comes to divine appointments and the people you have in your life, more opportunities perhaps than I do to share a word about how God has changed your life and who Jesus is to you. That's part of being fishers of men. But when we encounter God the Son, so, ab so able, so worthy, we stand in awe of him. We say, yes, whatever he asks of me, yes. And yes, our, our lives are inconsistent in following him. Surely you will see, though, the first disciples yeah, here they're in humble adoration, but at other times and turns, we know that they not only doubt, but they deny Jesus. They even double down in their resistance against him. Peter here is like, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. Later he's like, Jesus, you're going the wrong direction. Yeah, you don't do that, Peter. But we do it, because he says, I want you to follow me and trust me. And we said, no, I'm not. That, that's one area I'm not going to follow you. What's it for you? Well, you do business with the Lord.
I'm just so glad that even when he sees us floundering and fickle and lame, limping in our following of him, that he doesn't turn around and say, you know what? I'm done. I'm, I'm finished. See you later. You're off the team, out of the family. You're not worthy. No, the, sovereign's, the sovereign savior says, you failed, but you'll serve again. Get up. You're being, you're being refined. You're being transformed. And I love you. Get up. No, you're, you're not getting up. I'm going to lift you up. And you're going to follow me. And you're going to keep following me. Father, what an immense privilege to be called by you. We have every reason to serve you, Father. We, we want to please you. We want to be imitators of Jesus. But we're in a battle and we're in a broken world. And that's been true since the beginning. And we are sad about it since the fall, at least, not the beginning. But you're coming back. We pray it'd be sooner rather than later that you'd consummate the kingdom that you already inaugurated. Clean our hearts, Lord, and our minds. They're cluttered. They're confused at times. Help us, Father, this week to walk by faith under your love as children. And not only children, but also witnesses, ambassadors to others, salt and light, fishers of men, people who are not ashamed of the gospel. Help us to be humble when we do that, unified as a people in a world that's arrogant and independent and at times divisive. Lord, for those in our own community who are facing trials, unique trials of great pains, grant power to them, comfort for the sake of of their endurance and your your praise. Lord, there are others that desire to be restored and have your healing hand. I pray you'd sustain and bring health to our sister Dottie. She's back in the hospital. Give wisdom to her providers. Thank you, God, for protecting our sister Laura this week in a car accident. Lord, I pray you'd be with mothers in our congregation, with unborn children, and parents of young children, There's plenty of people who are sick and struggling. There's people in our midst that are trying to care for young children. There's people in our midst and our family that are trying to pay pay attention and care for aged parents. Give them strength and endurance. And in a multitude of areas, Lord, there are people that need healing emotionally with the weight and the waves of depression and anxiety. There's people longing, I know, relationally for health, with, with health with their family, troubled marriages and finances, People who need a new job, a different job. Lord, grant to us all that we need. You promised you would for life and godliness. Guard us, grant, grant to us, Lord, wisdom that we might walk in a way that shows we uniquely trust you. You told us in your word that those who fear you have no lack. And we believe that by faith, even now as we pray in the name of the Almighty, our King Jesus. As he taught his disciples praying together, our Father, Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 